You're listening to Different Things Can Be Sad. Welcome to Different Things Can Be Sad, where it's cool to care about the monarchy and Mickey Mouse. I'm Yasmin Lomas. And I'm Micah Hahn. And we are your hosts of this here monthly politics and pop culture podcast, where you can come to learn about, you guessed it, politics and pop culture. But before we dive into the educational section of the show, Micah, how was your August 2019? Uh, It's been a lot of fun. A very, very summery. It's been great to have a lot of time off to just enjoy the sunshine and reading and relaxing and traveling a little bit. So it's been great. That sounds absolutely beautiful. Mm -hmm. How has your summer been so far, August? Um, not very summery mm-hmm. in Ireland. Um, Sad. yeah, it's, it's okay. It's okay. Um, I watched one Harry Met Sally last night, so I'm just ready for like autumn. Mm-hmm. I'm just ready for that. So I'm not sad about it. Uh, yeah, no, it hasn't been a very busy month. Just been, uh, prepping some stuff. So hopefully we will have some big hashtag personal news for the podcast listeners next <laughs> month. Um, but really the most exciting thing that happened this month was I got a new pair of shoes. Mm-hmm. So that do you want to see them Micah um guys you can't obviously see this but I'm just doing like a pretzel shape and I'm showing Micah my new shoes which are a pair of like Cute. Doc Martens and they're like Chelsea boots and they are vegan leather Ooh. yes hashtag save the environment hashtag stop using hashtags in this episode <laughs> um yeah got them on eBay would recommend using it to buy things Mm-hmm. as people have been doing since the website was invented in like yeah. 2003 so keeping it current uh speaking of current things what have you been reading in august micah um the one thing um that i i've been reading a lot of um feminist nonfiction, but the thing i want to talk to you about is entirely different and is ya Ooh. um it's called gotta love it YA. i thought we've been lacking on we that we have been year. lacking on that recently Yes. Um, so it's called Red, White, and Royal Blue by Cassie McQuinston. McQuinston. Have you read this? No, I haven't, but it sounds fun. It's so cute. It's Just by that title. Here's the, the tagline from the book, from the back of the book. It says, what happens mm-hmm. if America's first son falls in love with the Prince of Wales? So like... Oh. Oh. Yes. So it's a very, very cute book. Um, it has this wonderful romance and a fun romp in an alternate universe that is just like a little bit happier than ours um oh sure yeah Yeah. um so the first son's mom is president which is like very different amazing brexit is still happening in the book but um oh interesting yeah i like that um so obviously she had to take like she had to ignore the current political situation to write the book um and she writes about this in her kind of acknowledgments at the end saying I had this idea at the beginning of 2016 and then the end of 2016 happened and I thought I couldn't write this book anymore. And then she says how writing escapist fiction is something we really need in tough political times. Um, and I like loved it for that. It was wonderful to like escape into a like political drama that's different than the time we are in right now. Um, but And that gave you hope for a better future, which was really nice. Um, it was a very cute summary. She also has a Twitter, um, and she chronicles writing this past novel, and she's writing her next novel right now. So if you follow her on Twitter, you can see all of that fun stuff. That's cool. Mm-hmm. I love learning about people's processes mm-hmm. of how they work. I find that so fascinating. Yeah. I've noticed like a few people on Instagram, you know, who are freelancers and stuff, will do. Uh, like a breakdown of what they did that day and I just for some reason find that so yeah. fascinating I think it's just a nosiness <laughs> element it's a bit like the money diaries kind of yeah. thing but like a productivity version mm-hmm. of it I read a book this month which is very exciting because I think both of us have been having reading slumps yes. lately um so as I mentioned last month I was in one and I reached for something that I was pretty certain would cure it. Mm -hmm. And that was Dreaming the Beatles by Rob Sheffield. So I think we've spoken about Rob Sheffield's work on here before. I've loved everything he's ever written. And I was eager to regain some positive Beatles vibes after 
the yesterday movie <laughs> fiasco that I ranted about in our last mm-hmm. episode and upset me on so many levels that you can probably hear the anger and heart in my voice as I even just think about mm-hmm. it. But Dreaming the Beatles, I really enjoyed. I think it's really great for Beatlemaniacs because it's not a rehash of old gossip or basic information that everybody on planet Earth knows, but it's like an exploration into why the Beatles mean so much to fans and why they mean so much to the world in general. Because, you know, would anyone argue that the Beatles are not the most well-known and influential act ever? I don't Mm. think so. I think unless someone was trying to do a hot take. I'm really not sure that argument can be sustained. Yeah. I think they're kind of like what Harry Potter is to books or Friends is to TV, but even bigger mm-hmm. and more universal and more unanimous than that. And it's really, really fun to read Rob Sheffield's work because he's really not afraid to be a fan. Mm-hmm. You know, he never tries to be cool, like too cool to care. Um, so if you like the Beatles or if you actually like Harry Styles and Taylor Swift, who he also loves and, he has written the Harry Styles profile in Rolling Stone this month. Oh, cool. It feels like you're chatting to a fellow fan who's equally as obsessed with them as you are, and mm-hmm. that just makes it so much fun to read. So I would definitely recommend that book if you are a Beatles or Rob Sheffield fan. Awesome. Have you been watching anything worth noting this month, Micah? Um, I have seen a lot of movies in theaters this month. Um I'll tell you about oh. two new summer movies um, that you can actually go see in theaters. I've been seeing like older movies in theaters, which is not mm-hmm. useful to all of you. So two new movies. Um, <laughs> one of them is Good Boys, which has a, a special connection because it's um, a Seth Rogen from his production company, Point Grey, and it's all filmed in Vancouver. So it stars Jacob Tremblay, um, and it's uh, like it's rated R, so it's a raunchy comedy about tweens um which sounds awful and gross but it's actually like incredibly sweet and so fun the kids are like they're in their first year of middle school and they're so innocent and all the jokes aren't at their expense in a mean way they're about like how they just don't understand the world they're in um oh and they like swear a lot but they like have no idea what sex is and it's so funny um my fate there's so many good lines if you watch the trailer you see a lot of them but um, he says something about that his neighbor is a nymphomaniac and his, um, friend says, oh, she starts fires. And he says, no, that's arson. A nymphomaniac is someone who has sex on land and sea. So <laughs> cute. And it's all of these like really cute little jokes. Oh, um, and it has actually like a great message of that. It's okay if your friendships change and it's okay if you age at your own pace and like take life in your own path and even if that means like separating from your friends a little bit and so I would highly recommend it's a great summer movie the other movie um that I saw in theaters was blinded by the light um which I was dragged to by this is gonna be a hard sell to me after yesterday I really I think I've been put (laughs) off any uh, music-based movies that are not actually about you know what not even sold on the ones about the artist anymore <laughs> i've really been put off music movies lately but go okay. on micah try um, so i me. was dragged to this by two bruce springsteen fans and so if you don't know um it's a bruce springsteen jukebox musical about a pakistani boy in 1983 luton england um and it's based on a true story um and it's directed by the woman who did bend it like beckham um which is a great movie. Yeah, yeah. okay. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm so Javed is a teenager in a working class immigrant family who is kind of lost in life and he's just starting um, sixth form, I think is the British, like British high school. And um, he uh, is kind of lost and doesn't really know what he wants to do. He's a writer, but like his dad wants him to go and work after doing his A-levels. And um, then he gets introduced to the music of Bruce Springsteen and it changes his life because it like Bruce Springsteen talks to him and speaks about what he's going through in such a real way, despite being like a white man from New Jersey, um, that he like goes and gets the girl and he like writes his poetry and he like enters writing competitions and all of this stuff. Um, And it's a very 
it has so much heart. It's so kooky and weird. And there's like some scenes that you're just like, why are you doing this? Like the three minute scene of him singing and dancing around in a thunderstorm. Um, very weird. But there's also things that like have so much, like do so little, but say so much in a really beautiful way. Um, and you kind of learn a lot of what it means to kind of, there's a, it really investigates racism in an interesting way because in the 80s in Britain, there was quite a, not popular, but strong presence of the National Front, which is a neo-Nazi movement. Um, and here they are, these Pakistani immigrants in Britain. And it really like plays on Margaret Thatcher stuff a lot in a, like boy that really makes fun of her in a great way um definitely if you have any interest in british politics or in bruce springsteen or in writing it's a very weird venn diagram of a movie but i would recommend it okay well i feel i yes. fall in the middle of that venn diagram still so <laughs> bad by yesterday that unfortunately i think i'll have to give it a miss uh, mm-hmm. I was actually talking to my mom about this movie because she loves Bruce Springsteen. I mean, yeah. he's like her ultimate artist. And we talked about it after we came out of yesterday. And even she, I, was like, I would no, honestly, no, after what well, just I saw happened it, there, so I saw it with three people who I had seen yesterday, and they loved this so so much more. So, okay, okay, like it actually. We'll I think um, I haven't we'll seen see. yesterday, but uh, what I understand is, unlike yesterday, it actually addresses the important impact of the artist yeah okay well that's that's something yesterday i could have given a go at uh it's fine it's fine i'm gonna talk about something that makes me less mad now which is a show i have been watching this month called euphoria i'm sure you've heard about it it kind of took the world by storm so if you don't know it is a show that follows a 17-year-old girl called Rue, who is played by Zendaya, who makes me sad every single day because she's the same age as me and so much more fabulous. But in Euphoria, she is a drug addict fresh out of rehab with no plans to stay clean. And there's also a whole mm-hmm. cast of other fantastic characters. So to name a few, there is Jules, who's a transgender girl new to town. There is Nate, who honestly is the most terrifying Mm -hmm. character I've ever seen on television. He is a jock with anger issues and sexual insecurities, and he's 17, and he gives me nightmares. There is Cassie, who illustrates how horrible the combination of, like, slut-shaming and technology can be. And then there's also Kat, who's really cool. She's a girl who is uh, really badly fat-shamed and is exploring her sexuality mm-hmm. in the shadow of that. I actually found out recently Euphoria is a American remake of an Israeli show. Mm-hmm. So that's a fun fact. Yes, another fun fact is that this show is a lot and I'm really finding it difficult to recommend it to people because I was so distressed and disturbed and sad <laughs> for these children yeah. in the show the whole time. But it was completely compelling and absolutely addictive. And it's also really beautifully made. So there's a particularly visually stunning carnival episode. Mm -hmm. Uh, The teens in this are ridiculously talented at makeup. And I would like them to make me over ASAP. And there's a really great hip-hop soundtrack. So (laughs) maybe watch it. I have, like, the television tolerance of, like, New Girl. That's kind of the level of grit that I normally sit at. So this was many 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 mm-hmm. paces above that if you're maybe used to something a little bit more gritty i think you'll like it have you been listening to anything you would like to to share this month Micah? uh yes um actually not really uh i've listened to not that much <laughs> new stuff i guess but i have gotten on the train very very late and have been loving golden hour by casey musgraves so much it's the perfect summer album I've decided. Isn't it fantastic? I mean, okay, not to be that bitch, but like, wasn't I kind of on this train six months ago? And I was like, Micah, listen to it. And you were like, oh, oh no, definitely. Music. And then look where we, I mean, I was like a year late to it, but yeah, it mm-hmm. is. That's a good album. That is, we talk a lot of, 
sometimes on the podcast, sometimes off the podcast about the idea mm-hmm. of a perfect album and that's a perfect oh, yeah. album. I wouldn't skip oh, no. a single song except for Mother because it makes me cry, but everything else. Yeah. Unskippable. So beautiful. I love you, Casey. Speaking of country queens, I have been obsessed with Taylor Swift's new album, Lover, since it came out. I have talked about the drip release of singles and information about this album for months. You're probably all sick to death of hearing about it from me. Uh, I spoke about it in length in Mm -hmm. episode 13, which was Women's Healthcare and Taylor Swift 7. So if you want a lot of info, go back to that. But basically, this album is truly phenomenal. If you were at all deterred by, you know, the bubblegum singles like me, I would urge you to please give this a shot because there are so mm-hmm. many gems in this album. My personal favorites would be the Mazzy Star inspired Lover, the title song. That's a single now mm-hmm. and is kind of blowing up. There is the Lana Del Rey style Miss Americana and the Heartbreak prince which actually gives me some euphoria vibes so my recommendation would be to watch euphoria mm-hmm. and then listen to this and just you know let that all percolate inside your head there is a song called it's nice to have a friend which really gives me some like big little lies vibes as well and then track two called cruel summer is also fantastic it has a similar vibe to getaway car from reputation cool. but yeah i basically i just find not only is this album absolutely amazing, but I find the hype around it so mm-hmm. fascinating. So I discussed her promo techniques in the previous episode I mentioned previously, but I think combined with the diversity on this album, like every song on it is so different. It's not homogenous whatsoever. I think perhaps that's why she's one of the only album artists in the streaming age. And an artist that's able to sell CDs. I think Variety reported that Lover had sold close to a million CDs in pre-sales. Mm-hmm. And there's all these videos of people, you know, lining around the block before the album was released to go buy it. Yeah. There's people raiding targets. I actually went out and bought it on CD, which I think is my first CD purchase since her 1989 album. There's just something so thrilling and fangirl inducing about Taylor Swift that you have to go out and buy things and whatever that like x factor is whether it is you know the information that we we dissected in the previous episode or whether it's I don't know the height the Mm -hmm. diversity whatever it is I want to know about it because it is genius and it is joyful and I love it and I love you Taylor Swift and if you want to be my friend I'm here This month in politics, I thought we would talk about an ongoing news story that's been kind of dominating the summer news cycle, and that's the Hong Kong protests. I thought maybe we could demystify it a little bit and um, give a little bit of backstory to what's been happening, because it's just so constant, I feel like it's easy to miss some things that have been happening. Um, 100%. I heard about it a few uh, months ago, and I was really really on top of it at first and then I went on holidays and came back and I felt I had missed yeah, everything I know. and now I'm lost and I would like your help please um so a little bit of uh context Hong Kong is called a special administrative region of China um and it's like a peninsula that outcrops from mainland China so there's a land border between Hong Kong and the rest of China there, there's also like a couple islands in the area um There are almost seven and a half million people in Hong Kong, and it is a very important economic powerhouse in the region. Um, A huge amount of banking happens in Hong Kong. Um, However, um, there's also a huge amount of wealth disparity. So um, it's very, very hard to find housing in Hong Kong if you don't make that much money. People live in literal boxes as their homes. Um, And... Yeah, so that's kind of an important background to why these protests are such a big thing. So before we talk about what's happening now in Hong Kong, it's kind of important to talk about the history because it's very important to what's happening now. Um, So Hong Kong was a British colony since the end of the first opium war in 1842. Um, And it was not happily a British colony, but it was a British colony for many years. And then in 
1898, the British signed a deal with China that said that they would give Hong Kong back to the Chinese government um, after 99 years. It's a very random number. Um, so as 1997 approached, which would have been the end of the 99 years, um, Hong Kongers became very nervous about the handover. And this is a point when massive immigration happened out of the country. Um, so a huge amount of um, Hong Kong people came to Canada um, in this time and other end of the States as well. And I assume Australia, if Australia was letting people in at the time, um, kind of unlikely, actually. Um <laughs> And so, um, yeah, there was Australia. the reason why people were nervous is people didn't really know what was going to happen, what that would look like. Also, China is not the democracy that Britain is and was not at the time. And so that made people quite nervous because they had actually had quite a bit of freedom under the British. And so when the uh, transition did happen, it wasn't exactly smooth and they had quite a few economic problems. Um, there was an outbreak of SARS in the first couple of years, which really decimated the population. Um, the people were quite sick and quite a few people died and which also hurt the economy quite a bit. So the first transition years were not very great. Um, so in this transition, they, China had to kind of decide on a policy of how Hong Kong would function as the special administrative region. And so they came up with the principle of one country, two systems. So Hong Kong is part of China, but Hong Kong has a separate government system than China does. Um, you could kind of very vaguely think of it like Scotland and the UK and that Scotland has its own parliament, um, but is part of the UK and is also under the British parliament. But it's also different because there's much more democratic rights in Scotland and the UK than there are in Hong Kong and China. Um, and so the country is separate and it's semi-democratic. So you elect members of the legislature, but people don't get to elect the chief executive, which is like the president, um, or kind of the mayor of China. Hong Kong is quite small, so in some ways it functions like a city. Um, like it's smaller than New York City is um, by like half a million people. Yeah. Um, and so oh, interesting. in this transition period, there's been a huge amount of tension between huh. Um, how the principle of one country, two systems would function and how much influence China has over the country. So famously in 2014, there were the umbrella, uh, it was the umbrella revolution. So they tried to reform their um, electoral system so that the chief exec, um, the China wanted to pre-screen candidates for the chief executive. So the way the chief executive is elected is that there's a board of people, including like businessmen and politicians, who then choose the chief executive, and China wanted to give them a list of people they could choose from. Um, and the Hong Kong people were very upset about this, so there was this revolution in 2014. Right. Um, which didn't change a huge amount. Anyways, so here we are, 2019. Right. So in March of 2019, so this has been happening for quite a while because the protests are still happening now, um, a bill was proposed um, by the Hong Kong legislature that would allow fugitives in Hong Kong, um, so people who have been uh, accused of crimes, to be extradited to China to face trial. So this was seen as an infringement on the one country, two systems principle because right. um, people thought that pe uh, people who broke Hong Kong laws should be tried in Hong Kong. Um, it also made people very worried. That makes sense. It makes a huge amount of sense. It also made people really worried um, about uh, the democratic rights of Hong Kong people and that this would allow China more control. Um, also, China has a reputation of um, not following yeah. their rule of law to the T and maybe extradite, they would extradite people who hadn't committed a crime. Um, so there were all of these worries about what would China do with these rules, this increased power. Um, oh. And would... And, the chance of getting a fair trial would be very slim under the Chinese government. So um, this was in March. And in March, there were small weekend rallies, but there wasn't anything big like we've been seeing in the news right now. So it wasn't until June, so two months later, that protests became larger and that clashes with the police began. So with bills, when they go through a legislature, they have different readings of the bill so people can debate them. So two days before the second reading, so the second time it was debated, which was on June 9th, protesters took to the streets. Um, the one interesting thing 
about these protests is that organizers estimate the numbers of um, participants very high and police estimate them quite low. So it's kind of hard to tell exactly how many people were there. So organizers said that on June 9th, there were a million people protesting, where police said that there were only um, 240,000 people protesting, which is like quite a discrepancy, especially in Hong Kong, when you remember there's only 7.5 million people. So a million is like quite a bit of the population. Uh, And we're not entirely sure. Um, So they had these protests and the next day the chief executive said, her her name's Carrie Lam, she said, we're just going to stick with the bill, it doesn't matter. And so on June 11th, when they were going to do the, the second reading, there was an occupation outside of the legislative council which meant that no one could get into the building. So they had to reschedule the council. And at the beginning, this occupation was very peaceful. But then by mid-afternoon, police started firing tear gas, pepper spray, and rubber bullets at the protesters. And 81 people were injured. Um, so on June 15th, so four days later, the bill was suspended, um, which means that they did, said they were going to stop debating it. But it didn't mean that it was um, like completely off the table. So the day after that, um, according to organizers, 2 million people took to the streets. According to the police, 338,000 people took to the streets. So there's that discrepancy. Um, And they wanted not only for the bill to be complete withdrawn, they also wanted more accountability for the police and the violence that had happened in previous protests. So this is like, now we're just like protesting is happening constantly. and for the most part, it's um, peaceful, but episodes of violence break out. And it's not just about um, the bill. It's about police brutality. Um, on right, June 21st, okay. yeah. Um, so on June 21st, they storm the police headquarters and they blockade it for 15 hours. And then on July 1st, which is this important anniversary of when the British... Um, handed over Hong Kong back to the Chinese. These huge protests came out and people demonstrated. Um, and there was, this is where a division happens in the protesting. So for the most part, it was peaceful protests. Um, and after this, um, y- more younger and mostly male protesters start um, breaking in. So they, in this case, they broke into the Legislative Council and they graffitied the whole building. Um, and much more aggressive encounters with the police occurred. Yeah. Um, and this is when the demands change. And so it's not just about the what has just happened. It's about changing the entire system. So they want more suffrage. So the chance to vote in more things in Hong Kong. And they also want more autonomy oh. from China. Um, and so for the next month, this kind of dual protesting occurs where it's peaceful in the morning. And then in the afternoon, all these altercations happen. Um, so, and then it becomes even more complicated when on July 21st, um, other mobs of other citizens attack the protesters. Um, so people who are pro-China attack the protesters and the police don't do anything for an hour. Jeez. Um, yeah. So people are, this furthers anger with the police and saying that the police are on the side of these mobs who violently attack these protesters. Um, on August 5th, um, there's a citywide strike. And so uh, they decide to change tactics and everyone stops working. This included, um, hundreds of airport workers and that shut down the airport, um, partially. So Hong Kong airport is the eighth busiest airport in the world. Oh, wow. So turning this airport really like gets people's attention. Um, after the strike, protesters saw this. Yeah. So they saw this, and on August 12th to 13th, protesters occupied the airport. Um, And so the airport was closed for two days, and there was actually quite a bit of violence on both sides. So police attacking protesters, but protesters also attacking the police and attacking people who they suspect to be undercover police. Um, After the protest, some of the protesters apologized and said that the violence was too much. Um, So that's over 10 days ago, um, and... There was one week of no violence, and now the violence is escalating quite a bit. Um, and the demands that these protesters have are much larger than what they had before. So their current demands are a complete withdrawal of the extradition bill, so the thing that sparked off this yeah. whole... Yeah. 
um, the original protest thing. Um, they also want, um, so they had at the June 12th protests were called a riot and not a protest. Yes, yeah, so that's the um, uh, protesting at the legislature to um, stop them from reading the bill. Right, okay. So not a yeah. riot, according to them. They want it to be yeah, removed they, from the record that, that was protest. ever a riot. Okay. Yes. Um, they also want an amnesty for all arrested protesters. So, um, like, around 100 people have been arrested, which isn't actually that much. Oh. Um, maybe just in the last weekend. Um, there's people in jail, um, and they want amnesty for them. Um, they also want an independent inquiry into all the police brutality that has happened. Um, they want universal suffrage in the elections of Hong Kong's chief, chief executive and the legislative council. So I think currently mm-hmm. only some of the legislative council is voted for and only some people can vote. Um, right. And they're calling for um, the chief executive, Carrie Lam, to resign. So some say this isn't oh. as big of a demand. Okay. So, okay. yeah. So on August 27th in the morning, um, Lam met with protesters um, to hear their demands, but then afterwards she said, we're not going to meet their demands, but we are going to find a solution. Whatever that means. Right. Yeah, that sounds like that's going to be difficult to achieve. Yes. So now here we are, violence on both sides, um, no real goodwill to find um, a resolution, at least from the Hong Kong government. Some people also say that because of the split in the protesting of both peaceful and violent, that the protesters are clearly not very organized and they don't really have um, clear leadership. But obviously they have this list of clear demands, so that must mean that they're organized in some fashion. Um, There's some centralization to this. Yeah. Um, so currently it's kind of at a standstill. Um, there's always the threat of China looming over um, this whole protest. Um, there, for a while, they were lined up at the border of Hong Kong, like the army was. Um, they started using much more um, aggressive rhetoric. So they were calling the um, airport shutdown an act of terrorism, which... Um, it's a sign of escalation on the Chinese government's part. They have a massive army, so if they wanted to, they could just roll in the tanks. Um, but they haven't yet, and it's been multiple months. So Right, so where we're kind of sitting at the moment is this could go on for a lot longer because the protesters aren't giving up, the Hong Kong government isn't backing down, and there is the potential for China to get involved. Yes. Interesting. And is this something that could like inspire similar movements around the world? Or are there other countries that are in similar situations? Like you mentioned Scotland and the um, UK before. I, I think this is an interesting and unique situation because of like the fact that it is China and they're a superpower. And it's Hong right. Kong that has this very interesting relationship yeah. with them and have like this, like a deeper seed of a desire for democracy than the rest of China does in some ways. Um, I can't off the top, right, like, I don't okay. see Scotland having violent protests anytime soon. Um, yeah. No. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Thank you for this, Micah. I feel like I've definitely uh, caught up with it now. I was falling yeah. a little bit behind, but I've caught up now and I'm really interested to see where this goes. From mergers to a high-profile breakup with Tom Holland, Disney has been at the center of a lot of discussions and Twitter firestorms this year, especially this August. I want to explain the different threads to this very big narrative and put some pretty complex legal shiz into simple terms for y'all. I think this will help us unpack what has been going on with the Walt Disney Company, or Disney's, continued domination of the entertainment industry and what that means for us. So I'm going to bring this back to March Mm -hmm. this year. We can obviously trace this back a lot further, but I think March is a good place to start because that is where the merger with Fox begins. So if you didn't know Disney and Fox 
had a merger. Um, And people were a little bit concerned about this because they thought there would be a bit of a monopoly in the entertainment industry and that it would prevent or reduce competition in the market. Uh, I should note that it this merger did pass all the antitrust test thrown at it. Mm-hmm. But you know what? There are still some lingering concerns. So why? Um, well, I guess one reason is that it reduced the n- number of major film studios in Hollywood from six to five. So it already had a, you know, a concrete consequence. And people are upset about this for obvious reasons, like the concerns of quality and creativity, but also some ones that you probably wouldn't think about. So journalists are a little bit concerned about this merger. So at the moment, you know, if a production company doesn't like a journalist or a publication, they do kind of have a right to say that they, you know, can't come to the premiere of a movie. Mm -hmm. Maybe they didn't like what they wrote about their last movie. And journalists are a little bit concerned that this could mean that if one company comes to own virtually every movie that's coming out, they won't be able to get to any movie. Mm-hmm. And that's that's concerning. Another thing we have to think about is theaters. So Disney actually have stricter rules than other companies about the cut that they get from ticket sales. And they have really strict rules about how long a movie has to be shown in a theater and how mm-hmm. many times a day. So smaller theaters might not be able to keep up with these demands and then can't show the movie and you know if that company owns all the movies then they can't show any movie and that is obviously not great for that theater as a business so to give you an idea of this the scale of this because at the moment you might be thinking Mm -hmm. okay yes you're being dramatic by saying they own every movie Disney already have like the franchises that we'd think of as obviously Disney. So, you know, things like the princesses and Winnie the Pooh, but now they own our part own uh, things like ESPN, Marvel, Lucasfilm, the history channel, the Simpsons, American Idol, home alone, avatar, die hard, kind of like a lot of places where you could think Disney have got their, their little paws in there. So that's something to be aware of. Another part of this story is streaming because mm-hmm. Disney has also started to extend into that region. They want to compete in the streaming market against the likes of Netflix and Amazon Prime with the launch of Disney Plus, a streaming service set to begin in November this year. So it's priced at about $6.99 US for the Disney Plus service, but mm-hmm. they want to sell it in a bundle that includes Disney, ESPN, and Hulu mm-hmm. for like $12.99 US. And that would include a lot of Disney yeah. things, really. There's about 7,000 episodes of television and 500 movies on there. It would include things like Pixar, Walt Disney Pictures, Marvel, Lucasfilm again, 20th Century Fox, uh, the Disney Plus side of things would be very family oriented, so no R or mm-hmm. NA stuff. And then the Hulu side of things would remain very general. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's it might be something that you are really excited about. Yeah. And that makes a lot of sense. For both the merger and the streaming, it's bringing about a lot of good things. So there's the Skywalker trilogy coming out which is the next chapter in the whole star wars saga Mm -hmm. that was coming out before the fox merger but yeah yes yeah 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 just to give you kind of an idea of where disney are are headed at the moment there's the black panther sequel they are bringing out cruella which is a movie about a young cruella Deville starring emma stone Mm -hmm. um, as part of disney plus Lizzie McGuire is coming back, mm-hmm. which very I personally am very, yeah, I'm super excited yeah. about it. So I kind of like this because it's not going to be a remake. It's going to be a continuation of the mm-hmm. original series uh, with Lizzie, still played by Hilary Duff, now navigating her 30s in New York City. Mm-hmm. Uh, so just to talk about this a little bit because I'm very excited about it. <laughs> Hilary Duff said, uh, Lizzie has grown up. She's older. She's wiser. She has a much bigger shoe budget. She has her dream job, the perfect life right now, working as an apprentice to a fancy New York City decorator with the perfect man who owns a fancy restaurant. She's getting ready to celebrate her 30th birthday. And what's also exciting about this is that the animated Lizzie, you know, the little yes. Lizzie, the little sassy Lizzie, she's coming back. Necessary. Um, Yes, we don't know if any other cast members are coming back, but we can keep our fingers crossed. I feel like Gordo and Miranda have to come back. 
Is it Lizzie McGuire without them? I don't think so. I'm concerned Miranda might not because she kind of disappeared at the end of the series and for she the movie. Did. So yeah. we will see. Mm-hmm. Um, for people of that era, I think you'll also be excited to know High School Musical is yes. coming back in a sense. On Disney Plus, there will be a series called High School Musical, the musical, the series. Yeah. And the ridiculous name is a hint at how self-aware and tongue-in-cheek this looks to be. It's basically a mockumentary about the kids who go to a, to the school where High School Musical, the movie, was filmed. And they're doing their own production of <laughs> High School Musical. So it's in a mockumentary style following them through the auditions and all their high school drama, etc., etc. So... You know, if you are fans of any of the things I've mentioned, not just Lizzie McGuire and High School Musical, which is obviously where our hearts lie. <laughs> Clearly, that's um, what we're excited for. It, it's very exciting for all these people, though, because, you know, your favorite things are coming back and they could potentially be bigger and better than ever. You just but have to pay $8 a month for it. Yes, yes. There's that. And there's also worth not- noting that these are all reboots or continuations of existing yes. ideas. And the reason we got each of these ideas in the first place is because somebody took a chance on something new. Mm -hmm. And I can see where people are coming from with their worry that, you know, what are we going to do in 10 years time if we're not making any new stuff and we just keep rebooting things? Yes. You know, how, how many more Spider-Man franchises can we go through? They've all been fantastic, but surely that's, you know, that's reaching an expiration date. Speaking of Spider-Man, this is where a negative of Disney's expansion is a little bit obvious and a little bit concerning. We're not sure if it's a negative yet, but people are mm-hmm. very upset about something here. And you've probably seen it on Twitter a lot with the hashtag Save Spider-Man and hashtag Boycott Sony. But I thought I would like to just explain what the hell is going on with the Disney-Sony relationship, mm-hmm. which is another strand of this whole narrative. So basically... Sony is withdrawing Spider-Man from the Marvel comic universe, Mm -hmm. which is owned by Disney. And that means there'll be no more Spider-Man in Marvel movies because, I have to stay with me here, Disney owns Marvel. So they own the rights to the character of Spider-Man subject to other contracts. And another contract, an older one exists, Mm -hmm which gives Sony the movie rights to Spider-Man. Yes. Now, as far as I know, not the merchandising, et cetera, rights, but the movie rights. So when Sony saw what was going on with Disney and Marvel and, you know, with things like Avengers being the highest grossing movie of whatever, yeah. they wanted Spider-Man in there. So they got Spider-Man into the Marvel comic universe. I and it was all going asked for it it wasn't just sony throwing them at it i wonder i wonder either way it seemed to work for both parties to um have Mm spider-man be involved in the marvel comic universe and it was all going really well until allegedly what happened is disney wanted a bigger slice of the spidey pie um people were saying that disney were getting about a five to ten percent I think it was 20. Of spider- I think they were trying to get it up to that. No, they were trying to get it up 50%. to 50. God, there's a lot of numbers. Exactly. Um, They're getting less than 20, let's say, before. Mm-hmm. And they were trying to get it up between somewhere like 30 to 50% they wanted of the Spidey pie. Mm-hmm. And Sony were kind of like, uh, no. And now Peter Parker has to swing it solo. And I think people didn't really understand the reasoning behind it or didn't really understand a lot of this other Disney context Mm -hmm. and we're sort of blaming it on Sony and which you know was a silly thing to do but yeah yeah they're kind of blaming it on Sony because they like Tom Holland hanging out with the other Avengers and now they're blaming Sony for ruining that So speaking of Tom Holland, he spoke about this at the Disney D23 convention recently and said, it's been a crazy week, but I want you to know I am grateful from the bottom of my heart and I love you 3000, which uh, apparently is an Avengers quote. And maybe is he hinting at where his heart really is? Maybe. I don't know. 
But what I think is kind of funny about this whole situation is that Spider-Man as a character would have been in the public domain by now if it weren't for historic lobbying by Disney. So this they kind of screwed themselves over with this. I'm going to give a somewhat uh, complex aside here, but bear with me, guys. So before I start off on this, I think it's important to establish what copyright Mm -hmm. is because I think people throw the word around a lot without actually understanding. So according to the dictionary on google.com, copyright is the exclusive and assignable legal right given to the originator for a fixed number of years to print, publish, perform, film, or record literary, artistic, or musical material. So... Basically, if you have copyright of a character, they're yours to make shiz with. Mm-hmm. So there were a few copy, a few changes to the original Copyright the Act. Um, when we're talking in the US yeah. here. Yes, yeah. Um, but by 1909, creative works were entitled to 56 years of copyright protection before entering the public domain. Mm-hmm. And Disney had their, I guess their standout character, Mickey Mouse, first appear in 1928 in a movie called Steamboat Willie. So his copyright would have expired in the mid-1980s. And as we were inching closer to that time, Disney did not like the idea of that. They did not want Mickey to be able to be used by anyone. So lawyers spent a lot of money lobbying Congress to extend the terms, and they ended up securing an extra 19 years for everyone. So basically the law changed and everyone was in, like the copyright mm-hmm. went from the 56 years to an additional 19, which meant that Mickey would have become public in 2003. And then in 1997, as 2003 was inching closer, we had more lobbying by Disney, which, and they were able to extend it again by launching the Disney Political Action Committee, which spent a lot of money, and records show that 19 of the 25 sponsors of the bill that changed this act again received money directly from Disney's CEO, Michael Eisner. So now the the copyright has changed again. It's even longer. I think it's about 97 years now, and Mickey will not be out of... Will will be in the public domain in 2023, and it looks like this time Disney are not going to fight mm-hmm. it because people are sort of thinking that's not really going to go down well in the internet age of freedom. People are probably going to be a lot more annoyed about that than they were in the you know late yeah. 70s or late 90s. But this is where it gets interesting for Disney, and they might be able to still save Mickey's ass. There is a thing called trademark, and they have trademarks on Mickey. So a trademark is a type of intellectual property consisting of a recognizable sign, design, or expression which identifies products or services of a particular source. So I guess you could say a logo. Yeah. Uh, Disney will likely be able to claim that the image of Mickey is inseparable from the company. And I mean, he is pretty much their logo. The Mickey ears is the, you know... Who hasn't seen those Disney Channel stars with their little glow stick ones making the Disney ears or at the beginning of the Disney movies or the first thing everyone buys at a Disney theme park is the Mickey ears. Definitely Mickey is the symbol of Disney. So they're going to have a pretty easy job of arguing that it's inseparable Mm -hmm. from themselves and they'll still be able to use him. But to loop all back to Spider-Man, Spider-Man first appeared in 1962, which means that pre-Disney lobbying he would have been in the public domain last year and they could have been able to use it now who knows like what else could have happened if Disney hadn't stepped in I'm sure lots of other stuff and there's no point you know playing devil's advocate here but essentially they could have had Spider-Man to use now anyway Mm -hmm. Uh, but I think all this kind of illustrates the power of the company we've basically got Disney merging with Fox and making the biggest movies going and being in places you wouldn't even expect it and now launching into streaming and providing a lot of competition there and even creating or contributing to situations with companies like Sony that has upset quite a lot of uh, fans of Tom Holland's Mm. Spider-Man. 
So um, I think what we can take away from this is that it has been a big, or it will be a big few years for some of your favorite things. And in a way that is really, really, really great. You know, it's, it's going to be fantastic. I'm excited to see Lizzie McGuire come back and High School Musical to come back. And I like that they're doing these new creative takes on them. But if you do like the idea of creativity and of new voices and of new stories, or if you find something that you really like and it sits outside this ownership, I think it's really important to Mm -hmm. support it. So, because that's how you tell people that you want more of it. So if there's something that hits the mark there, go see it in your your cinema, talk about it online. And on topic of cinemas, um, support your local mom and pop style cinema, even if it can't afford to have the biggest movies in town there. I know some of our favorite movies mm-hmm. this year and maybe ever have been smaller productions that would have been shown at really small theaters. And I think it is a good idea for everyone to give these movies in these theaters a chance. Yeah. So be, be informed with your viewing, kids. Alrighty then. So that is another episode of Different Things Can Be Sad wrapped up. Micah, what will you be doing in the month of September before um, we chat again? I will be continuing my life as a perpetual student and starting my master's in, in Montreal. <gasps> so exciting. Oh, and where can people follow that? Um, you can follow me um, at Miss Clearwater on Instagram, where I'll be posting many Instagram stories about moving. Um, and on Twitter, maybe I've started to Twitter more, mostly just retweeting, retweeting, retweeting uh, angry Canadian politics things because the Canadian election starts. And you liked one of my tweets from and yesterday. I like so... Jasmine's tweets, tweets, tweets all the time. Where is your Twitter language? It's know, really, it's you can't even you get the word really out there. It's bad. It's bad. Don't Twitter. <laughs> uh, I am also on the Instagram and the Twitter. I am at Yasmin Lomax on both of those. It is unsure what you'll be seeing me do in September. Mm-hmm. I hope it will be big things. Um, yeah, tune in. I will hopefully have, as I mentioned earlier, some hashtag personal news. At the very least, you'll be able to see me go see the strokes yes. again which I am super excited about. Oh, wait, about. I'm seeing Vampire Weekend. Also very exciting. Um, so if you want to keep a track of these very exciting adventures for people who are interested in New York-centric bands from the early to mm-hmm. 2000s, tune in next month and we'll definitely be talking about this and other politics and pop culture news. Chat Bye. then. Bye. Bye.